0: Good to come into the house of the Lord and to turn to His Word and be directed in worship that way. Let's go to the first book in the Bible, the Genesis, the book of beginnings, and uh, we'll look at chapter 2, read uh, a significant portion in chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 could be known as uh, maybe the second account of creation. Chapter 1 is the first account, and uh, Genesis chapter 2 repeats some things, uh, summarizes it in a different way, uh, not specifically in chronological order, but also adds further details of particularly what happened on the sixth day of creation, and that will be our focus uh, this morning on a particular element, a declaration that God makes on this sixth day of creation. Let's begin reading at verse 7. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground God... "...made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads," meaning four rivers. "...the name of the first is Pison, that it is which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good." There is Delium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second uh, river is uh, Gihon. The same it is that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hidekel, That it is which goeth toward east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him an help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. Because she was taken out of man. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Let's conclude our reading here at the end of chapter 2 in Genesis. There's a number of things that we could focus on in this chapter. We won't have time to draw out all of the themes in this chapter, but one of them, which I will consider as one of the major themes that uh, the writer of Genesis points out here, is one of the statements that God makes. He makes a number of statements, but the one in particular is, he says, it is not good that the man should be alone. God is a relational being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a being, a Godhead in relationship. That's his very nature. And so he created us as mankind in the image of God. We also are relational beings. If we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it expounds on this a little bit in more detail. This is the sixth day of creation. And God said, let us... So us, plural, in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Later on, in particular in in Colossians, we read how Jesus Christ is the creator. He created, by him all things are created and sustained uh, as well. Not only created and set in motion, but he is actively involved in his creation, sustaining the functioning and the existence of the creation. And God said, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness." There are many things that, in a sense, we, in a lesser way, in a smaller way, are uh, imitate the nature of God. And one of those is relationship, our need for relationship, and how we thrive uh, in uh, good relationships. And in a sense, we die when relationships don't exist. uh, The very nature of our our existence is very much intricately connected to relationships. We are not meant to exist alone. It is not good that we are alone, God said. Uh, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. Uh, So that's giving man his dominion, his authority over the earth. We won't focus on that so much today. Uh, So God created man in his own image. Again, reinforcing this this, uh, statement here and this concept. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So here God declares right at the very beginning that he created two genders. And both genders, in their unique way, reflect the nature of God in different ways. What God has declared to be, we are not free or able to redefine, even though our culture tries to redefine it differently, but we see the reality of what God has created is male and female. There is significance in the fact that God created Eve, shall always say, figurative significance of why did he take a rib from Adam and form an Eve, a woman called Eve, by his side, not from his head, not from his toe uh, or foot, but in this sense, equal in value, equal in preciousness, equal in ability to commune with God. Uh, equal in terms of reflecting the nature of God in different ways. But equal does not mean identical or does not mean the same and does not mean interchangeable. God has specific designed roles for each gender, and we do well when we submit to that reality in living out the gender God has made us to be. Uh, We read in uh, look at a little bit uh, in this word helper. Maybe even before, when, as God declares that it's not good for man to be alone, I will make an help meet for him. A helper suitable, or a helper th- that is fitting for him. This word helper is not intended, sometimes the word helper is describing someone of lesser status lesser capability lesser you know, you know have a maybe a craftsman and their helper it's very clear that the craftsman is the one who is um, has all the brains and the and the and the skill and the helper is just sort of there helping along perhaps learning to become a craftsman but that's not the correct application of this word helper in this case because the word helper has other meanings that is a legitimate use of the word helper of course but as it's used in this text that In no way is to imply of of lesser status or lesser ability uh, in that sense or lesser value. Uh, God is described as our helper. If we would look in, in one of the Psalms, Psalm 30, Psalm 33, verse 20. Our soul waiteth for the Lord, He is our help. And our shield. So, in this case, the help describes someone who is much greater than us. We are far than being equal with God. Um, the if we also look at uh, the Apostle Paul's description um, in regards to identity in Galatians chapter three, verse twenty-eight. Uh, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female. You are all one. In Christ. So in terms of our relationship with God and our value as human beings, these different ways that one could legitimately classify people or categorize people, whether it's by nationality um, or by social status um, or by gender, all are one in Christ. Equal in value, different roles. Now, the the passage which we have read, of course, describes uh, marriage as the first relationship, and as such, it's the foundational relationship, but it's not the only relationship that God has designed, Um, and so we're not only going to be speaking about uh, marriage uh, this morning. But uh, we can begin with that. As the foundational relationship, one can uh, surmise or or observe that when that relationship is undermined— or attacked, or crumbles, every other relationship among humans uh, suffers in one way or another. And so you can be sure that our enemy knows this as he is uh, uh, comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, and he hates God, and he hates uh, his creation, so he hates you, and he hates me, and he will find ways to destroy us. And in one of those ways, is he he attacks the marriage relationship. And we see that that happens so very quickly in uh, the fall, as we would move into chapter 3 and so forth, as uh, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And what happened? Immediately blame started in the relationship. As God questioned Adam, what have you done? He blames his wife. His wife blames the serpent. And you can see already a breakdown in relationship. Maybe that A conversation doesn't fully encapsulate the brokenness that had happened in that moment as they realized what they had done. And the distance and separation that uh, suddenly happened and they began to realize as the reality of that unfolded over time. As the breakdown in the relationship with God and with each other because of this sin. And so what this means is that your marriage, for those of you that are married, your marriage has tremendous significance. Not only to you personally, of course, for your own health and well-being and functioning and, and uh, happiness and blessedness. That's important, so you invest in that. But also in terms of kingdom value, because so much um, is connected to the beauty of your marriage. And so I encourage you to fight for that, Contend for that. Commit to your spouse. Love your spouse sacrificially and in many different ways that the Bible describes love. Rejoice with your spouse. These are all biblical teachings. Function as God intended you to function in your family, in your marriage, each in your God-given roles. And when that isn't functioning right, then confess and seek help. You don't have to struggle on your own, thinking that you need to hide your struggles and, pre- and put up a facade of, of perfection when things aren't working right. We are in a broken world, and so each one of us, in some sense, uh, experiences brokenness and is not functioning fully as God would intend us to. And so, therefore, when that is your experience—not if. I'm going to say when that is your experience— Seek help from the very people that can point you to God's design for your marriage or your situation to get the help that you need. Your marriage has a kingdom purpose. And so in that sense, when their relationship with God was broken and with each other, they experienced loneliness. And this element of loneliness is what Adam experienced at the first and why God had declared it is not good that man should be alone. And he takes him through this experience of discovering his aloneness. Notice how the Bible describes this as he brings the animals to him for Adam to name Now, it doesn't say that he brought the animals in pairs, but it's, I think, a reasonable assumption in the text. You know, sometimes when we read things in the Scripture, we read things explicitly. It says such and such. In other cases, it doesn't say that, but it might be a reasonable assumption because it does say that he made them male and female, the the beasts of the ground and so forth. And so, it's quite reasonable to think that maybe they came in pairs to Adam, and Adam recognized, oh, they're, they're coming in pairs, and there's a male and a female uh, and he's naming them, but he recognized that there isn't one like me. There's no one that matches like me. And so in one sense, you could say, how, how was he alone? He was with God. There was perfect communion with God. And there was surrounded by a beautiful creation, as well as animals that would have been in, able to interact with him in a much more uh, harmonious way than animals interact with us today. You know, we're in a broken world and there's a lot of brokenness even in how animals function. But there would be friendly interaction and among the animals. But yet Adam felt alone because there was no one like him or a counterpart to him or suitable for that type of closeness that God created him to experience. And of course this was part of God's plan and therefore he made a woman. And so in this element of alone and relationship, as we will examine that in the scriptures this morning, and the theme of that and what that means, we can see it on three levels. As we are created body, soul, and spirit, in a sense, relationship and the absence of relationship, being alone or loneliness, exists in those three spheres, shall we say, and they overlap. There's physical aloneness, there is this emotional uh, relational aloneness or connection, and there's spiritual connection uh, and or disconnection. And uh, we'll see how the scriptures speak into each of these. And of course, the gospel as Jesus Christ came to fulfill that gap and to bridge, shall we say, the spiritual gap that we had between us and God, uh, being a sinful race and needing redemption. And reconciliation. And so in God in the gospel message of Jesus Christ, he brings reconciliation uh, to that. Um, if we want to look at a particular verse that describes this and how the gospel speaks to the whole person, not just to our spirit, but to body, soul, and spirit. Uh, the Apostle Paul says uh, in his conclusion into the the letter of First uh, Thessalonians, in the last chapter, uh, verse 23. He says, And the very God of peace sanctify you holy." and I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can sin within all of those three spheres, and we can glorify God in all of those three spheres. And his encouragement is that our whole being, all three um, elements of us, body, soul, and spirit, be preserved and give glory to God. And so our the, the element of relationship exists uh, or is absent in those three spheres as well. If we uh, look at Jesus, he experienced loneliness as well. In the garden, he was alone praying he took his disciples with them but ended up being alone as the others fell asleep and that happened not only once but i think it was three times that happened alone he stood the trial first with the jewish leaders as there were times when all his disciples forsook him and fled some were in and out and so forth but there were times when he was all alone Alone, he faced Pilate's judgment. Alone, he walked that road bearing his cross until someone did come to help him carry it because he couldn't physically carry it, a piece of it. Someone was compelled to do so. There were no volunteers for that task. Alone, he hung on the cross and made that final declaration as he cried out in agony, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? there's someone here that's experiencing loneliness, Jesus knows how you feel. He had experienced it as well. And in a sense, it's just uh, amazing at how Jesus took on the form of created human flesh. The creator participated and became the created in the incarnation and he came down and he reached down to the lonely and we'll touch on that uh, a little bit more but there's another connection in here in this uh, with this institution of marriage uh, to christ and the church you know there's so many passages in the scripture where there's images shall we say of deeper spiritual truths and connections, which uh, other scriptures uh, point us out to. And and the Apostle Paul, and in uh, Ephesians, as he's writing about this, makes uh, a detailed connection of Christ and the church and compares that to a marriage. God describes his relationship with Israel as a love relationship committed in marriage uh, and so forth, even though Israel often uh, did not stay faithful to that covenant. And so, in this case, you know, there are, uh, in the relationship of marriage, here, God describes that was the solution for Adam, right? He made Eve to, uh, to solve the situation of loneliness. And for many, marriage will be part of the solution for loneliness. But many don't get married. Uh, so and, and it doesn't fulfill all the aspects of relationship that God had intended, uh, that we have we have friends and other relationships that take place. But not everyone marries. Uh, there are some that have that desire to marry, and it is yet unfulfilled. And so in that sense, they feel lonely, as they have that longing that is not yet fulfilled. Uh, there are others that may go through life that that is not their desire. And they may they choose not to marry and don't have that desire, and they serve God well in that sense. Others don't have a natural attraction to the opposite gender, and so in order to fulfill the biblical mandates and commandments that are given them as children of God, they choose to stay celibate. But they experience a measure of loneliness then, because they also have unfulfilled desires and a. In a uh, a measure of, of a relational intimacy that uh, may be difficult to replace. May we recognize uh, different aspects of loneliness and in ways in which God fulfills uh, intimate relationship yet in pure ways. There are those that have been married and their spouse has passed away, and so they find themselves alone again. And there's an element of loneliness as well. Or there are those uh, who have experienced the destructive forces of divorce on their marriage and are in a state of loneliness because of that. In each of these situations, as broken as they are, God desires and has a way to redeem your lonely situation for those that are feeling lonely. And those are not the only situations of loneliness. We'll talk about some other ones as we go along. But whatever situations they are, he has a way of redemption and displaying his glory on that. Our family night last Sunday focused on the theme of redemption. And so we can say with confidence that there is no situation that he cannot redeem. That God is, shall we say, stuck for a way of finding a solution. Doesn't exist with our God provided, of course, that the soul is willing to participate in his plan of redemption. And so if you are in a place of loneliness and you've been there for a long time and you feel stuck, I encourage you to participate in God's solution for that. And there's many beautiful stories of redemption where people that were alone, God found ways to fulfill um, them in ways of meaningful relationship. In some cases, it was through marriage, such as Ruth, whose husband passed away and got married to Boaz. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, remained single. We have other servants of God, Daniel, the great patriarch. We don't ever read that he was married. He was a single man, my understanding, never married. Taken into captivity as a young boy into a foreign land, and God promoted him in certain areas of service there and served as a single man. The Apostle Paul, we don't read about his marriage, uh, that he was married. It's assumed that he was single and uh, served in the kingdom of God uh, in that way. But if we look a little bit more about moving on to, to Jesus and how he ministers to our loneliness and our need for relationship, because there are situations where maybe we're physically with other people, but relationally we still feel alone, or spiritually we still feel disconnected, It's not only about proximity with other people, although that's certainly a part of it. Jesus came down and reached out to the lonely, to the lepers. You Think about how lonely they were, not allowed to be with anyone else because of the contagiousness of their disease. Uh, The vulnerable, the outcasts, the the, the sinners, those that were looked down upon, the prostitutes and so forth, Uh, those that were broken and bruised in some ways, those that didn't fit into the functioning of society. He intentionally reached out uh, to them. And so Jesus does that through the church as well, through his body. We are his body, those of us that are believers. And so he intends for us to reach out to others in similar manner, out to the lonely. And so that implies if you are a believer and also lonely, he will minister to you through your loneliness to others. Which means you need to participate in reaching out as much as you can. And he equips you to do that. It's his strength in your weakness. His equipping in your vulnerability. His security in your insecurity. These are the very things, actually, that equip you and make you able and qualify you to reach out to someone else. Maybe in a similar circumstance. As opposed to being someone that has never been touched by trouble. Or someone that is... Uh, able to always overcome uh, everything and never seem to have any struggles that kind of a person may seem to be somewhat untouchable and can't relate then or others won't be able to relate to you because you're just so far off in in uh, perfection land that uh, that you that you're not connected but He uses our human frailties and weaknesses, and this is the very nature of God coming to us, Emmanuel, God with us in the incarnation, coming in weakness and frailty physically, but yet in demonstration of the power of God. And so this is a spiritual battle, as the enemy wants you to be alone and feel alone and function that way and be more vulnerable. And so Satan will attack relationships to, because he wants them to be dysfunctional and distant and hurtful uh, and so forth to separate people, because in doing so, he's attacking God, because he hates everything God has made. Beware of poor substitutes for meaningful in-person connections, right? You know, there are tools that we have, our technology, our social media platforms are ways in which we can make meaningful connections but sometimes if that's all that we use or we have a disproportionate focus on that that becomes a poor substance a poor substitute for meaningful in-person relationships beware of that that would be a trap that the enemy would lead people into strive for fellowship of course the solution is also a meaningful connection with God. Because we could be having good connections with people, but if we lack connection with God, then we've we've missed out on the whole purpose of the gospel of being reconciled to the primary relationship, that is of God the creator himself. This spiritual, remember we're talking about body, soul and spirit. And uh, the spiritual relationship and connection with God. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so if there is someone here who does not have that relationship with God, I implore you, this is the primary relationship that you should pursue. And be sure God is pursuing you in that relationship, for that relationship. He did so much through Jesus Christ in coming and paying the price to reconcile you back into himself. And so I encourage you to repent from your sins. And turn to him so that he can build that relationship. And you participate in building that relationship in restoration with him. But on a practical uh, level, much of our experience in relationship exists with people. God has designed us that way. Whether it's within marriage, then you got parent-child relationships, you have sibling relationships, you have relationships of uh, fellow brethren in the church, you have close friendship uh, relationships, extended family relationships, neighbor, uh, neighbors and co-workers, and, and so forth. Uh, mini- relationships of people that you're, you're helping with or reaching out to and ministering to, relationships that you are mentoring, intentional reaching out that n- maybe naturally wouldn't necessarily occur. You, you don't have a reason to benefit. You know, a lot of times we look at relationships of how we can benefit and mutual benefit and so forth. And for the most part, that is how it works. But sometimes it doesn't start out that way when as a believer inspired by the Holy Spirit, you intentionally reach out to someone that may be hard work to reach out to them, and uh, because you recognize uh, that they are lonely in some way, and God is directing you to bridge that gap. But if you find yourself in a place of loneliness, what might be some solutions uh, for you? Of course, you can look at your own nature first. Is there something within you that is making it difficult to be friendly, that uh, is difficult to attract friends? You know, are, are, are you of a bossy nature? Are you of a, a critical uh, person? Are you a controlling person, dominating person? Uh, you know, every time there's a conversation, it's all, well, it's all about you. And, and somehow the conversation always revolves around you. Um, uh, are you a complaining person, a self-centered person, a critical person? You know, ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart in this. And in some sense, all of us have some elements of these things. The only person that didn't was Jesus. And so we can all learn from this. But we would recognize that these kinds of traits in others make it difficult for others to reach out to us. Maybe not impossible, but it would take someone of tremendous effort to do so. But of course, this is not so simplistic, uh, you know, because the enemy would also want to heap guilt upon someone saying, yeah, you're just an awful person and no one's ever going to be a friend with you and it's hopeless. You might as well just stay alone because it's better off that way. That's a lie from the enemy. Don't stay in that place that uh, you are valued and God can redeem your situation and put you in a place of meaningful relationship. Search your heart and ask for forgiveness and healing to take place. This is not simple, although maybe the way I'm describing it right now in short terms, I don't want to oversimplify it. Relationships can be complex uh, and and messy and uh, difficult. And so in that sense, we all uh, sin in some ways and certainly are broken and dysfunctional in some ways in regards to this. Uh, We... Have selfish tendencies. Sometimes we're not a safe place for relationship to happen. Um, it may be toxic in how we conduct ourselves in a relationship. We observe these kinds of things so that it can happen because trust needs to happen in order for relationship to take place. But of course, this element of different is also part of this breakdown and, and cause of loneliness. When Adam looked around, he said, there's no one like me. Well, there's a lot of differences between humans that we've classed and made barriers and so forth in this. And there's differences in color, of skin color and in race, um, and that explodes all over the world in, in just uh, awful kinds of things done from one race to another or from one skin color to another. Differences in language, in culture, and belief system, in worldview, um, and uh, so forth. Difference in, in disability and ability to function uh, creates gaps. In relationship, difference in social class, uh, and as well as maybe other unique struggles uh, that are defined don 't fit any of these kinds of categories. But Jesus intentionally crossed these kinds of barriers in reaching out to people that could be considered lonely in their category, so to speak, and in in the very collection of his disciples, bringing together some that were fishermen uh, and uh, a tax collector. And I'm not sure what the occupations of the other ones were. I didn't uh, take the time to study that. But you just imagine some of the dynamic that even took place there. And sometimes there was a bit of squabbling there. Who's going to be the greatest among them and and that sort of thing took place among his disciples. As even in in the fact that how he chose his disciples intentionally crossed some of these barriers. But he went far beyond that as he reached out intentionally to the untouchables and to the people that were of the Samaritan uh, race that were despised by the Jews uh, and vice versa and, and so forth. And so as the church reflecting the body of Christ, we are to do the same and to be that safe place where anybody, no matter what class or category or difference one could describe them in terms of, or how they identify themselves as being different, whatever it might be, that this would be the safe place to come and find meaning and purpose and true relationship in Jesus Christ. To become that new creation and sanctified in Him, as this happens, of course, initially in the conversion transformation, and then also growth over time in sanctification and growth and maturity, as we are refined and shaped by Him through good experiences and difficult experiences. In summary, the purpose of the gospel, the very essence of the gospel is that we don't stay alone as Jesus came to minister to our loneliness. And so therefore we have promises in uh, about that in Hebrews 13:5 uh, he says, you know, I uh, I will never leave you or forsake you. And then, even more specifically, Jesus, as he points out to his disciples as they became anxious, as he's comforting them ahead of the time, because he knew they would become anxious and fearful when he left. They didn't understand his plan at that point. But in John 14, during the Last Supper, as Jesus gives them many uh, instructions, and the Gospel of John records many of that in detail, and he says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. So those of us that are believers, we are never truly alone. Yes, of course, in certain elements we can be alone. We could even be in a crowded room and feel alone because we don't have a connection maybe with anyone in that room. But it is the very connection through the indwelling Holy Spirit that he has given as a gift to every believer that equips us to reach out in relationship just as Jesus reached out in relationship. And so, may we fully embrace this element of all three aspects of relationship of how Jesus ministers to us, body, soul, and spirit, so that we are truly believers and a church functioning in fellowship, in meaningful relationship, giving glory to God. Amen.